My name is Joe Whitty. I'm an entrepreneur, veteran, father, and proud team member here at Tag One. On Getting Transparent, we get to the people who are having an impact on our food and natural product supply chain, their stories, what drives them, and how they're making a difference. This is Getting Transparent, brought to you by Tag One. Please follow us. And if you want to get in touch with us or have guest suggestions, visit us at www.tagone.com. All right. Welcome, everybody, to Getting Transparent. Last episode, if you missed it, we were excited to have the Hemp Industry Association Executive Director Jody McGinnis join us, who shared some great insights on the history of hemp, uh, some of the future of hemp, and uh, what the current CBD market is looking like, and the impact of the FDA, and some of their rulings on hemp and the CBD market, and really what it can do for us. If you've missed it, go check it out. Today, Really excited. We've got amazing guests covering a really important topic that's going to impact the majority of our food supply chain. We're going to talk about the FDA's new era of smarter food safety initiative, tech traceability, exactly what that means, what it is, and the FDA's recent traceability challenge. And um, ultimately, what's the future of our food food safety and food providence looks like? So let's meet our guests. So our first guest is our first returning guest, Mark Carter. Mark's a longtime executive and leader in the food and beverage industry with extensive technical, scientific, and operations experience. Mark's considered one of the premier experts on food safety, technology, innovation, and taking products to market. He's currently serving at Hygiena along with his own company, MC Squared. Gives back a lot to the community with Laced Up Sports and also serves as the current secretary at the International Association of Food Protection. Mark, good to see you, buddy. Hey, how you doing, Joe? Thanks for having me. Anytime. And also as my colleague and the founder and CTO of Tag One, Manish Gupta. Manish was a senior consultant and executive at SAP who helped lead tech traceability uh, at the division there. Um, worked a lot with pharmaceutical companies and leading them through serialization and traceability. After leaving SAP, Manish teamed up with TJ Gupta and formed Dreamweaver and ultimately uh, Tag One, uh, which is a traceability management system using blockchain technology to help streamline operations and supply chain for food and supplement companies. Manish, always good to see you, my friend. Yeah, good to see you, Joe. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So, all right. Um, when you guys first saw the FDA's new era of smarter food safety come out, uh, if my memory um, serves me correct, a little over a year ago, like what were your thoughts on on the proposal? Did you feel like it was the right time, the right proposal? What, what was your initial instinct? Mark, we'll start with you. So I, I thought it was past time, mm-hmm. let alone being the right time. It, it, it's past time for it. Um, just because, just because, you know, if anything, the idea of, of, or the process of tracing food through the through, you know, through our food systems, it gets more complex. Doing that by paper, doing it by spreadsheet is just it, it's the time is long past for that to be the way that it's done. Sure. So you know, for for FDA to say there's an emphasis on doing this and doing it digitally and supporting electronic systems to to increase traceability, uh, help add to the level of food safety. Um, we see, I, I think it's just past time, let alone being in time, it's past time for it. And, and so Manish, you experienced something kind of similar when you're at SAP, you helped with traceability and serialization through the pharma, um, process. 
Um, what parallels do you see between what's happening now in the food sector and what's happening on and what happened in the, the pharmaceutical sector? And, and what can food companies expect? Yeah, this is an interesting question, Joe. Uh, when we look at the proposed requirement for tech-enabled traceability, it is important to check if something similar has been done in any other industry sector. Interestingly, pharma has been working on end-to-end traceability for finished prescription drugs for quite some time. Uh, There were initially uh, some proposed rules from state of California and some other states way back in 2000 uh, for uh, end-to-end traceability for the finished drugs. uh, um, And then in November 2013, Congress enacted uh, the Drug Supply Chain Security Act, normally referred to as DSCSA, to facilitate the tracing of certain prescription drugs in finished dosage throughout the pharmaceutical uh, distribution supply chain. Uh, Implementation of these rules uh, were intended to enable uh, FDA and the enforcing agency to better protect uh, consumers and uh, better able to detect and remove such drugs from the US supply chain, pharmaceutical supply chain. So as you can see, uh, these rules were in, there are differences in the intent for this law. In pharma, in pharmaceutical case, it was about uh, ensuring the supply chain to be safe, uh, while in the new era of smarter food, uh, it is about food safety. Uh, at, but at a high level, both involve end-to-end traceability across the supply chain, which is where we can get a lot of learning from the work which has already been done in the pharma sector. Now, if you look at pharma sector, they have been working for quite some time, and I which a lot of effort in pharma was spent around ensuring interoperability where industry groups, such as along with the FDA and standard organizations like GS1, worked tirelessly to come up with interoperable standards, which yeah. helped technology providers and uh, companies uh, implementing these technologies to meet these requirements using agreed standards. Uh, This involved all the participants to work very closely to achieve this, even though on the ground, most of them were fierce competitors. They were solution providers, which could hardly talk eye to eye. Similarly, a lot of these pharma companies you can understand are fierce competitors. But in this space, all of them agreed that they need to work together in order to achieve something like this. And I would say we absolutely believe that something similar needs to happen in the food sector where companies and solution providers across the industry need to collaborate and create shared value for everyone. You know, I want to come back to that interoperability question because I think that's going to be really important. Um, You know, Mark, starting with you as different companies and industries within the food industry, whether it's seafood or produce or, um, you know, one of the many other or meat sectors look at the proposal, you're going to get a completely different responses. Some people may say it's not enough, or I've been doing this for years. It's about time. And others may say, this is too much. You know, we're working fine the way it is. There's really not that many issues, or we don't have the resources. Our margins are too tight. Did you feel that the, the, that the proposal was, was, was reasonable and kind of a good starting point? Um, is there anything that that you would change or, or not change with with the recommendation? What what were your thoughts? I mean, for me, one of the things I think is most important about that is, you know, just the the proposal itself. I thought was was um, well written, fair, mm-hmm. asking for things. I think that again, when you see them in action in other industries. Then the idea of saying, you know, hey, you know, we can't do it kind of kind of gets gets pushed and stressed a little bit. Um, I, I think it's always going to be a thing where where there's a spectrum, right, of capabilities in different companies. 
But I think the biggest thing that we looked at, that, that we look at, and, and one of the things I say is like, because the food industry can be so vertical that the requirements in each one of those vertical spaces can be, a, I'm not going to say it's different, but the way things are communicated in, in a matter of like, how do you describe a product? You know, what do you expect to see from um, the things that are there to make it traceable? When you talk about interoperability, I think that's where, that's where, um, the food industry probably is just getting to the point that they can handle the idea of coming from one part of the industry over to another. And mm-hmm. so. in, in Manish, on the interoperability side, um, what did you guys experience with with um, companies coming together? You know, GS1 has certainly been been um, at, at the center of the um, new era of smarter food safety and, and, and trace tech traceability and, and trying to develop some standards there. What were some things you saw previously on, on the pharma side? What do you anticipate and how can so-called competitors with traceability solutions work together to, to, to create some level of interoperability? Yeah. So as I said, uh, interoperability is very, very key to the success of this. Uh, so if you see in our view, one of the keys to successful implementation of the proposed rule in our food supply chain will be how open we keep our ecosystem open. Uh, we are talking about uh, around half a million of small and medium entities just for these 10 products, which are there in the food traceability list. Food traceability list. And each of this, uh, these uh, entities should have the option to choose their own solution to meet the proposed regulation without compromising on the sanctity of the data. And for an open ecosystem where multiple solutions coexist, we need to have standards for data storage and data sharing. Uh, For such a large ecosystem, having like one or two companies supporting it is no way going to sustain this. So this is where, again, uh, I reemphasize the model, which was basically, I think, very very successfully followed in the pharma. I reemphasize the importance of industry and solution providers to work together along with FDA to come up with these interoperable standards. And this is where uh, bodies like GS1 will have a very key role because in the end, uh, they are the ones who will be the ones publishing the standards and others to accept it. Uh, Without interoperability, I, I strongly think there's no way to achieve a cost-effective traceability solution and high industry adoption. And and so just to, to piggyback on that, you kind of like talking about tech traceability and really what that means. It's, it's, it's an important part. Um, you know, the number one item listed in the new era of smarter food safety. Um, what would you guys see as just operationally for a company that maybe doesn't have, maybe they're using spreadsheets or an accounting system or ERP, what are what are the kind of challenges will a company expect to see by by shifting and implementing a traceability management system? Um, and you know how can somebody? What are the first steps somebody should do if they want to integrate something? Should Mark, I we'll start with it? you. Or okay. go ahead, Manish. Yeah. Go ahead. I'll I'll leave. My, I'll let Mark speak. He's I, I I personally think one of the biggest challenges is goes back to. Um, the layer of standardization to be able to communicate across um, across the industry, right? And what does that mean? So the, one of the biggest challenges is when you talk about data integrity, and I say standardization helps with the level of data integrity you need to really go to a high level of traceability. So let's say there's no standardized way right now to even say, um, Oh, this is, you know, because it's not between companies, but I'll use an example. 
how do I how do I designate a lot number for any given product that I have in my system? And can I communicate that and other people understand it? Well, people say, okay, you can use a Julian date or you can use, you know, a month, day, year, you can get whatever you decide to do. Now, if there's no standardization of the way that we communicate data across different areas, right? I can send, I can send a product to a contract laboratory. I've got all kinds of things that I can recognize, but if I want to put that out into an open system or have it such that I can link suppliers together and really trace things, then those things need that. We, you know, we, that's a big hurdle we have in the industry right now is like, how do we account for all these things that are not common? So to me, um, you know, it, you've got to have a way to standardize how do we begin to name the items that need to be traced? Mm -hmm. Then the system works, right? And then you can really start building the system. And I do believe though, by having some flexibility with some of the electronic data systems that are there, being able to say, hey, these two fields are basically the same thing coming out of your limb system, coming out of your ERP, you can at least standardize data structure, if that makes sense, right? And I think once you can at least standardize data structure, then you can start standardizing the things that are inside those common areas and common fields. And that'll, that'll help with that interoperability we're talking about. Absolutely. Manish, what do you think? Yeah, I echo exactly what uh, Mark said. Uh, so interoperability is just not about uh, agreeing to a standard data model or how we are going to share the data with each other, but it also involves a lot of other things in terms of master data, which we're talking about, how to define items, how to universally basically recognize that items across the supply chain, uh, how to uh, recognize a location uh, uh, universally uh, and uniquely across the supply chain. So so I'm, a, I'm looking for a lot of work uh, as uh, and guidance coming out both as a part of the industry groups and maybe from FDA in terms of all this, because in the end, uh, everyone needs to talk the same language. And uh, for that to happen, there should be basically a universally accepted standards for master data, for data model, for sharing the data. And so interoperability is a much vast, much broader terms, which encompasses, I would say, all of these things. I would even add something else that, that I think is just a challenge internally for, for enterprises or companies of any size, which is just change. You know, companies have done things for a long way and they've done it on spreadsheets to suddenly um, say, well, now we're going to change how we do this. And and Sally or Bob or whoever has been doing it the same way. And, and, and anytime you go through a significant change, it requires more resources, more time, more organization and, and, and cleaning up what's been happening in the past for the last five to 50 years. And oftentimes these tight margin industries don't have the resources in order to get that cleaned up and make that change. And there's just resistance from the top, from, from the bottom up. And if you don't have a strong enough leadership force, say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to allocate resources, bring in somebody from the outside um, to help us with this, or you're going to put in some extra time, extra hours, and here's our end goal. It can just get delayed forever until people throw their hands up and say, it can't be done. Um, we know that difficult things can be done. We put men on the moon before and, and, you know, um, are, are seeing some amazing technologies, but I think that change management component is what's going to, you know, why value driven organizations yeah. are the ones who are, are executing it. And those who are saying like, ah, commodity driven organizations are struggling. Um, I think it's probably going to be one of the biggest issues. And I've heard that too, which is like, oh, we, we want to have item level traceability. Well, have you thought about 
you know, where you can change your current process. We're not willing to do that. Well, if you're not willing to change, you're not going to get change. You can't, it's not magic. You know, you can't have something that's just suddenly at no, no, you know, no skin off your back, have something that's going to be better. It's not going to cost you anything. And, and life is suddenly good. Just yeah. that's not how life works. You know, yeah. Joe, that, that follows, that follows one of my favorite phrases though, that I've used pretty much my whole career is that no one likes change, but a wet baby. And, uh, <laughs> You know, you get to the point, you get to the point that you need to be able to manage that change. And maybe that's an opportunity, right? That's maybe right. that whole change management side of it um, from a service standpoint becomes something that, that, hey, okay, you guys don't have to do it. We'll help you do this. Mm-hmm. And then the overall, the overall value back to the company is once the change is made, the, you know, the level of efficiency and the other things you can see from the new system become quantifiable. Yep. Right. Um, and, and the value of managing that change and somewhat managing it quickly has an even has an even greater puts even greater impetus to get it done. Right. If there's a way to say, hey, once this is done, look at the things you don't have to do. Look at the errors that are not made. Right. Transcription errors, all these other things like that. And then the next thing, you know, right, things start to run more smoothly. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that to me. Is a is part of it's probably one of the hardest things as you just mentioned is the change management portion. Um, sometimes dealing with people's feeling of obsolescence, yep. people's insecurity, fear. You know, we, yeah. Again, fear. We're still it's part of like we always talk about food safety culture, for instance. But we're still talking about you know change makes people uncomfortable, right? And 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 I think managing that you brought it. It's a great point, and embracing the fact that. Not only is this going to, you know, the change is going to help you. It's going to make your life better in the long run. Yeah. Um, and and the benefit to the food industry is massive. Yep. You know, and the final consumer that's going to now has, you know, a much better, you know, we have a much better way of, of, of putting a safe meal on a table than we did before, you know? So you know, that's kind of my thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you jumped on an area that like, um, that we talk about is like, what are the benefits, right? So I think many companies immediately say like, ah, oh, this is a burden, it's going to take time and resources. Manish, what do you see as some of the other, well, it, it's not just a burden and it's not just because the FDA is telling you to, right? So when, when our parents tell us, hey, you got to clean your room and you just feel like it's a burden, you're like, oh, there's something I need to do. But in fact, when you suddenly need to find something or you want to have a friend over there, you know, like Manish, what do you see is what are the benefits that people should recognize they're going to, they're going to um, re- you know, received by implementing a traceability management system. Yeah, sure, Joe. So first of all, um, like if what we propose to FDA as a part of the traceability challenge, uh, one of the kind of concerns in the industry specifically is uh, how uh, effectively and easily they can implement such a such a program. And uh, as I already mentioned, there is about we're looking at about half a million of entities uh, of all shapes and sizes. How can we support someone uh, kind of who wants to comply to these requirements easily without basically much disruption in their day-to-day life, without kind of too much of without additional burden from a cost perspective? So, which is where we had proposed, and I'll kind of detail it a little later, uh, a kind of a low-cost solution, um, a, a model which can uh, which can be easily implemented. 
implemented using the current tools which they are already using. We already talked about a lot of them are basically using spreadsheets, uh, uh, maybe paper to kind of maintain a lot of these documentation together, how they can continue doing that and be able to upload that information somewhere uh, in the magic cloud and be able to comply to this regulation. So that's the first benefit, I would say, the, uh, the look from, from our solution approach perspective, be able to easily be able to comply to these regulation uh, at a very low cost uh, uh, with not much disruption in their daily life uh, to what they are currently doing. Now, there will be companies, and this is exactly what we have seen in other uh, industries, including pharma. They first focus, like if the regulation comes in play, a lot of the company's initial focus is how we can just comply, 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 comply. Yep. So that's that's first becomes their focus. And once they comply to the regulations, then they start looking at, now we have done something which we were not doing before, how we can get value out of that. Mm-hmm. And that's where they soon realize the important amount of data and uh, information now they suddenly have, which they previously was, maybe still there, but hidden in the paper, in a thick rack of kind of paper or documents somewhere hidden in their hard disk. Now it's very easily available to them and they can then suddenly realize a lot of value they can get out of that from an operational efficiency perspective, from the from reducing their risk overall, from the risk exposure perspective, not only about regulations, but uh, say class action lawsuits from consumers, et cetera, from quick recalls perspective uh, and from consumer perspective. We are, of course, we are talking about regulation, but just, one of the foundations on which at least we started uh, our journey in this space was uh, how we can basically enable consumer to have more information about the food they are consuming. And I'm uh, I'm pretty sure this information is very valuable. And once the company uh, kind of starts having this information, they can get value out of it by providing that information to the consumer and differentiating themselves from from others who are or basically good companies differentiating from the bad players. So, so in in a nutshell, that's where what I see basically in the future happening from all this data which is going to be getting uh, kind of stored somewhere and this is where this um you know the the traceability and and transparency initiatives ties together op supply chain you know the c level with marketing and sales right so i don't you know the number is something large 80 85 of consumers you know want to know where their food comes from they're more loyal they're willing to pay more they're willing to switch brands the whole ordeal i think we've got another podcast on that that, that gets the real numbers on those um we give you the, the old trust me that, that the data is out there to support doing things the right way is also good business the reality is that i'm gonna guess it's it's first mover advantage that you know after everybody does this you can't be like hey we're more transparent well at that point in time 60% of the people are going to be transparent or 70% and and, and, it's, and it's hard to market that at that point in time or, or to differentiate yourself, but you want to be first. So companies like Patagonia um, or Gaia Herbs or, um, you know, those type of, of, of supplements and food companies that, that have gone out and, and created sustainable food products um, and tell you where their sources are, they're, they're winning you know, and, and they're getting, and what's the value of the PR they're getting is, is absolutely incredible. Um, and so I think that's where, you know, also going back to the upside, the predictive analytics, Hey, we've got, you know, a graph that can show us which of our suppliers are delivering on time or not on time and when certificates are going to expire. And and what does that do for you as a C-level to, to make decisions on who you want to spend more money and time with and who you don't, I think is, is huge, you know? Um, Mark, what do you see as, um, I mean, COVID has made things really interesting in the last year and a half. Um, I, I don't know if you see anything with the timing of this. I mean, I, as far as I know, I don't think COVID has had a direct impact 
on our food. I know everybody was cleaning off boxes when they first came in our house. We didn't know what that meant, but we know we have a supply chain issue globally right now. You go buy things like tennis balls, suddenly they're not available or, or they're 10 bucks a can. Um, what do you see as the, the greatest um, risks to our food supply chain? How do you think this may or may not um, be able to, to impact some of those, you know, whether it's a food safety risk or food provenance risks? Yeah. I, you know, from, from the standpoint of, yeah, I'll look at it two ways, right? First way is, you know, when you say you could COVID, you look at what's happened with supply chains. I, I go back to the level of, you know, what happens at the level of, of, you know, calling food workers, frontline workers, and then we're dealing with um, a shortage of people, right? People are overworked. Uh, supply chains are strained, but let's just go to the level of actually producing the things and getting the things that we need. Is that you know we've had 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 we have companies cutting production because they don't have enough people to work on lines, right? And and all of those things become stressors to the quality and safety of the food that you eat, right? And and you can try to automate. A lot of things have been automated, and I think that helps, right? That helps manage the overall workload that you have and how many people you may need to do what you, to, to produce the same, you know, uh, cases, cartons of food that you made before. Right. But, but the strain that it's put on people at the, at just the, at the work level, um, you know, when you start lines back up and you've got inexperienced people, when you have sanitation crews that you can't find enough mm -hmm. folks, mm -hmm. you know, all of those things now, um, have been have become stressors at the base level of the food. When you can't bring when you can't bring containers of food products into the country that you need to have here, right? We talk about semiconductors and other things all the time, but there's shipments of food products that are affected by 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 COVID. So from a supply chain standpoint, I think you see there's there's pressures both from the the, the farthest levels of getting things into plants to be produced. There's been pressures on people within the plants to produce things. And, and to me, this is why leveraging um, at this point, you know, what's available technologically to let this digital transformation help you manage these things, right? To trace the stuff that's going through when you don't have a person that's able just to, you know, necessarily check every label, but, you know, you know, because of the verification processes, because of, hey, we know what got shipped from point A, it's here at point B. We know the contents, we know the quality. And, and that, that information follows those products all the way through the supply chain. So to me, those are like the two things. One is just operational. The other actually deals with human beings and people themselves and the stresses they've been under that, that affect industry over the past 18 months. You know, you bring up a really good point that I probably don't think about or emphasize enough, which is... Anytime you you bring on a new human or you're scaling and adding more, you're adding more complexity and to have a system that says, this mm -hmm. is what you're going to do. And this is the process. And I always, the analogy I like to, to give is, you know, when somebody's bowling a ball, you want those rails up so they don't throw it in the gutter. Yeah. So if you've got a human being shortage and we've all like, you know, staffing shortages are, are, are happening globally, you know, certainly in the US, you bring on a new person, they can't order an ingredient from somebody who's not approved or hasn't gone through the proper process that can put your whole company and your reputation at yeah. risk. You know, that those are things that, that can easily be yeah. missed. Yeah. Um, piggybacking on that, Manish, first of all, congratulations um, 
to to you and to your team um, for um, you know being selected um, by the FDA for the traceability challenge is is huge. Um, so you guys have implemented um, blockchain as a component of your technology. How do you see blockchain being able to help with some of these risks and, and to mitigate that and to serve as an immutable digital ledger? Yeah, thank you, Joe, for for um, congratulating us. Uh, it has been a hard work, and of course, you have been also been an integral part of it. Uh, just a quick background about Tag One before I kind of jump into. Um, how blockchain can help and how, in fact, I would also like to kind of uh, explain our proposal uh, because that is heavily dependent on the way we implemented this blockchain platform. So quick background about Tag1. We are a technology solutions provider company, 100% uh, focused on supply chain traceability. We have been tackling uh, traceability challenges for about 15 years uh, across multiple industries like pharma, retail, supplements, hemp, CBD, and of course, food and beverage. And uh, over the last few years, our single-minded focus has been to build a comprehensive cloud-based, easy-to-use uh, traceability solution for the natural product industry uh, that it can address any scenario, big or small, complex or straightforward. Uh, the Tag1 traceability program results from that hard work and the solution uses a unique role-based architecture so that it can seamlessly um, join together data and documents across the supply chain, giving us a detailed source-to-table traceability. Uh, this solution has two core tenants, and the first is, of course, uh, the data is stored in an open-source blockchain platform. So for someone who is not, not a geek like me, blockchain in simple terms <laughs> is a platform which is designed in such a way that it makes it impossible to change, hack, or cheat the data in the, once it is there in the system. Uh, this is what we term as uh, the data immutability in blockchain, the term I think a lot of us would have heard many times. And there are many components to this architecture which enables that, but one of the ways it is done is achieved is having multiple instances of the databases, which, we, which are commonly called as nodes. So basically, we are accustomed to databases and normally we see databases like one entity where all the data is stored. In a blockchain, you have many instances of the same databases replicated. So if you change one, you have to basically, it can quickly come back to the original state because it continuously keeps pinging other databases to know if there is any difference and which one is the correct database. So that is one of the ways. There are other, there are other architecture things also which ensures immutability like blocks, which I don't want to get into. Now we have also heard the term called public and uh, permission blockchain. Uh, one of the public blockchain, Bitcoin, I think we have heard so much. Uh, it's public because uh, anyone can become a member and the data is basically visible to everyone. While in a permission blockchain, it basically means you need an access uh, to uh, get an entry into the blockchain. Uh, but uh, one thing we need to understand that the permission is coming from the application level in the sense the application is basically doing the verification and checking whether you have access to the data or not. But uh, any, anyone who has access to the database, as I said, there, there are multiple copies of the database. If anyone has the access to the database, that person and entity has full access to everything. So this is something which I think some of us uh, forget when we think permission means that everything is safe and sound and no one has access to the database. But anyone who has access to the database will have the access to all the data. So how do we ensure security? Maybe uh, because we are talking about end-to-end -end traceability from a supply chain perspective. One of the ways is uh, we identify a body or an entity whom 
all the participants trust that they are going to keep the data secure. They're not going to leak the data and they are not, they're going to ensure this uh, access so that uh, if someone is not authorized, they will not be able to have that access. If that body or that entity or that company is ensuring that, yes, everything is sounded good. Of course, that's one model which is there. Now, what we are proposing is an open source blockchain, which is a model a little different from that because we think having one trust half a million entities in in uh, in our supply chain trusting one single entity is uh, i would say very very difficult so ours is a decentralized network that uh, basically give the control to the users to decide what to share and whom to share so so what we term as public data and private data so public data is something which is basically accessible to public which will be there in all the nodes private data is only kept in the node which the which the company has access to. And the company can even decide that that private node can be within their own four wall. It doesn't have to be in the cloud. We as tag one can run it for them or any other service provider can run it for them. But they, if they don't trust anyone, they can basically keep that private node within their four walls. And as I said, tag one will run one or more nodes for our customers to store our customer data. And other beauty of our open source blockchain is any company, set of companies, or even our competitors can run their own node and be able to push the data. That's the concept of open source. It's not a closed blockchain. It's open for, for the industry to use. So we are basically ready to uh, kind of be design an architecture in such a way that others can also use that. The other tenet of our solution was how we can simplify this whole process of data capture and data upload, which is where we proposed a, um, Excel sheets, a simple Excel data sheets, which you can basically, the template you can download from our solution. And everyone is used to using Excel sheet. They continue filling up the data in those Excel sheet and periodically upload the data into the cloud from the regulation perspective. And we also have a mobile app for data capture. So these are the two easy ways for us to capture the data and push it to the blockchain. Awesome. Um, so, the, so again, the reason we are proposing an open blockchain, just to summarize it, well, A, no one party controls the data and have an open and transparent architecture. Awesome. Awesome. So, Mark, we're, we're running up against it now. I know you guys got to get back to your busy lives. Give us some parting thoughts about what you think about this whole tech traceability for the food industry and 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 maybe what your advice would be to a company who's starting to consider this. Yeah. I mean, in, in my opinion, this is this is something that's going to be transformative for the food industry. We're moving past, um, you know, a time when everything would be on paper to a time where everything is going to be digital. And I think, you know, my advice to companies that are looking at this and saying, okay, what step do I take? Find, find, find a company to work with or find a way to leverage, um, leverage your own internal capabilities, you know, and data, figure out the data that you want to have transferred. And then, uh, and then find somebody who can help you get it to a point where it's usable for yourself and all of your customers, right? That's the main thing. Um, is it, is it, you know, great description with the blockchain, but I just think that understanding that what you have, A, should be protected internally, but should also be able to be used in industry and follow, follow your products along. Small companies can find good suppliers to help them do that. Awesome. So I think we, we can all agree that, you know, putting, Safety, you know, food safety at the forefront, um, putting food provenance, letting people know that what is inside the packaging is what, in fact, um, is, is what's written on the package. And, and this all starts with, with company values. And that means sometimes doing some things that seem to be hard up front, but in the long term, actually reap some significant benefits and reduce risk and reduce waste and give more visibility um, over time that, that make companies more sustainable 
um, even beyond what, what their product is. It's it's not just a good thing to do. It's actually good business. Um, Mark and Manish, I want to thank you guys so much for, for your time today and for you guys contributing your thoughts and wisdom. Appreciate everybody for joining us and listening today. And we, we will keep you guys up to date on what we see in here with more updates from the FDA and, and uh, some of the new technology companies that, that are emerging from this to, to make us better and stronger. So um, thanks again, guys. I appreciate it. And for everybody joining us, stay transparent. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Getting Transparent, brought to you by Tag One. Please subscribe to receive notifications for future episodes and visit us at www.tagone.com.